0: Welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Uh, Today we are continuing our study in the book of Revelation and we are coming to Revelation chapter 10. This is a very interesting chapter. It's something of a transition chapter, a calm before the storm. Uh, But yet there's a couple of very interesting things happening in this chapter. One thing that's very interesting is that an angel is going to give some interesting vision and information to John, but then tell John... Don't tell anyone else. Uh, Seal it up and keep this secret. So that's very interesting. We're going to take a look at that. And also, John will actually eat a scroll. He will actually eat a scroll in this passage. So there's several interesting things going on here. We're going to go ahead and get started as we study and obey God's word one passage at a time. So we're going to read through Revelation chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. ...wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, ...seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, The mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So very interesting chapter. We have an angel. We have... Uh, thunderings from heaven. We have sealing up a scroll, sealing up a vision, and we even have eating a scroll. So this is something of an interlude between the 6th and 7th trumpet judgments. The 5th, 6th, and 7th trumpet judgments were described as three terrible woes three woes which are going to come upon the earth now the first two were unleashed already they contained terrible demonic attacks directly against everyone who is not sealed by god and uh, this was literally going to be hell on earth to give people a taste of hell to actually try to encourage them to repent before it's too late and their fate is sealed For all of eternity. So, this chapter, Revelation 10, is something of a calm before the storm moment. It's similar to the one between the sixth and seventh seals when there was a half hour of silence in heaven. So, let's go ahead and go through the text and see what's happening here. Uh, In verse 1, we see another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Now, the identity of this angel is not given. However, it's distinct from many of the other angels. More time and effort are given to describe this angel. It's evident that he's very powerful. It says that he has a rainbow over his head, that his face was like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire. So quite an amazing description of this mighty angel. Now, these descriptions, especially regarding the face and the legs, are similar to the descriptions of Jesus given in Revelation chapter 1. And in no other place in Scripture can we see so many clear descriptions of an angel. This has led some to conclude that this is actually a reference to Jesus But John describes this being as another mighty angel. Now, if you look at Revelation 5, 2, uh, he says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. So he actually saw a mighty angel already in Revelation 5. And then here in Revelation 10, he says, I saw another mighty angel In fact, the Son of God, Jesus, is not another anything, is he? He's altogether unique. He is one of a kind. He is different from and greater than all the angels. And you can see Hebrews chapter 1 for more on that. Now, if the author wanted us to know that this was Christ, he would not have called this being an angel So, most likely, this is one of the highest angels in God's created order. Perhaps it's Michael, though we cannot be sure. The meaning of Gabriel is actually mighty one. So, the way he described this angel shows that he comes directly from the presence of God. He's on a divine mission and he carries divine authority. The rainbow shows is a reminder of God's covenant with his people made all the way back in Genesis, that he would never again destroy the world by water. Here it seems to show that God is going to finally judge the world again. Though in keeping his promise, this time it will not be by water. This time uh, will be, obviously as we know, by by fire. Now the time he waited from Genesis 6 until this point in history shows us his remarkable patience for the entirety of of basically the Bible from Genesis 6 all the way through Revelation, thousands and thousands of years, God is showing patience with mankind. But that patience is about to run out. Now, the angel has a little scroll in his hand. It's quite an interesting picture because if you look at verse 2 here, you see, while this is a, a mighty, towering, powerful angel. He's so large, he can simultaneously stand on sea and on land, and he has these massive hands, and in his massive hands, he has this little scroll, a little tiny scroll. Now, the contrast there reminds us how much power is packed into the written word of God. God's words can be written on something very small. Now at the same time, his words are powerful and change the course of the history of the universe. Now we cannot be sure what this little scroll is. Uh, It could be the same scroll as is mentioned in Revelation 5.1. It says, I saw on the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. Uh, So it could be this scroll, but it also may not be this scroll. The Bible does not tell us very clearly. It could also contain something of God's plan of what he was going to enact between the the sixth and the seventh trumpets. It's not very sure. Now, in verse 3, it says, He called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. Now, in the Bible, thunder is often a reference to God's voice which comes forth like thunder from the heavens. And seven is the number representing God, completion, perfection. Thus it seems that when this angel calls out, God himself answers from heaven with his thundering voice. So first the angel calls out with a loud voice and then these seven thunders sound. And we can see in Proverbs 18, 13, a similar... Uh, a similar verse. Uh, sorry, I have the wrong verse there. But the verse I'm looking... Oh, sorry. Psalms. Psalms 18.13 says, The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out His arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. So this verse depicts God as thundering from heaven. Perhaps that too... Uh, Is shown here in Revelation 10. Alternatively, it could be that the seven thunders represent seven mystery judgments. There are seven uh, scroll judgments and seven, sorry, seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and then seven bull judgments. And then here there's seven thunders. So it's a bit of a mystery. In fact, in this chapter, there's a lot of mysteries. In the whole book of Revelation, there's a lot of mysteries. So you want to know the mystery, right? You're curious. I'm curious. What are these seven thunders? What does it represent? What is this information that John is getting here from heaven? And so John is about to write, right? That's what he's supposed to do in the book of Revelation. Uh, Jesus gives him a message, a vision, and then John writes it down and records it for us. But here we see in verse 4 something different going on. It says, John says, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So there is some kind of a revelation inside of these seven thunders. Something that John saw and understood about God's plan. And he's going to write it down. He's going to record it for us. And then he hears a voice from heaven. Perhaps Jesus' voice himself saying, seal it up. Don't write it down. Write all of the other things in Revelation. You're supposed to write down, write it down, record it, give it to the churches. But this piece of information, seal it up. Don't share it. Well, this is very strange. This is very mysterious. Now, to paraphrase, God basically says, I'm going to do something amazing, right? John's excited. He's going to write this down. I'm going to do something amazing. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. Now, what is the purpose of that? Why would God even reveal these things to John and then say, don't write it down? No one can know. Now, it seems odd to us. In fact, the whole chapter of Revelation 10, we don't really get very much new information at all about God's plan for the end times. Rather, we get this curious exchange where there's these thunders and this message, but then it's supposed to be sealed up and not shared so why even have revelation 10 at all what is the point what is the message god is communicating to us and i think there are some important lessons for us here now the first is that god's plans his past present and future plans are far more than we will ever know we can only know a very small fraction about god and about what he's doing So sometimes we have questions. God, why are you not answering this prayer? Why are you not saving this person? Why are you not working in this country? But in fact, we just don't see and know everything that God is doing. And just because you don't see that God is working doesn't mean that he's not. Now, knowing that should make us humble. It's easy for people to become prideful and judge God based on what we think that he is. Or we think he is not. Or we think that he should be doing. Why doesn't God send a missionary to that lost tribe in South America? Why does God let corrupt politicians get elected? Why does God allow this? Why does God allow that? And our minds can... We we can start to get kind of prideful as we begin to almost judge God. And our judgment is based on what we can see and what we can know. Which in fact is very, very limited. And so this chapter shows us very clearly... God simply does not tell us everything he's doing. We are on a need-to-know basis. Now, that's a very important lesson for us, especially as we go through the book of Revelation. As As I've gone through this book of Revelation, I've sometimes received some questions about what heaven is like. And many of these questions are, in fact, speculations about things that the Bible doesn't really talk about. So we could spend a lot of time speculating on things like, what's the identity of this angel? What's the contents of this book? What's the message of the seven thunders? What's, how are we going to pass our time when we get to heaven? Will we eat food? Will we play musical instruments? Will there be sports? Uh, will we sleep? Will there be oxygen? What's it going to be like? We have so, so many questions. But you know what? God didn't tell us the answers to those questions. Why? Why? It's simple. You don't need to know. If you needed to know those things, God would tell you. God tells us everything we need to know. And we can see that in 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He tells us everything we need to know for life and godliness. All the knowledge that you need to have to live your life and obey God, He's given to you in Scripture. Now there's a certain fascination with speculating about mysteries and angels in heaven and things that we don't see. There's definitely a fascination in that. These things are interest, it piques our curiosity, it makes us want to know more. What well, we need to realize if the Bible doesn't speak to the issue of then you don't need to spend lots of time speculating about it. We will never come to know the answer through speculation. We can only know God through what he's revealed. If he chooses not to reveal himself, we can't know. Now, part of the application for this is to be very, very wary of people who come along and say, I'm going to tell you the secret of the Bible. I'm going to tell you the Bible code, something you never heard, something you never knew before. Recently, I came in contact with one individual who basically said that his group had discovered something about God's plan, something about the gospel, which the church for the last 2,000 years had missed, but they discovered it. I was very dubious, I was very skeptical. Because God has revealed His plan to us clearly in Scripture. If very many sound Bible scholars in history and students of the Bible have all missed this point, do I think that I or this other group can somehow find it out? That seems very prideful to think that we can discover some new mystery or revelation in Scripture that no other godly believers in history have seen before. So we need to be very wary of people who come to us with speculations on the mysteries of the Bible and tell us that they've discovered something that we never have heard of, that we never knew before. So we need to be humble. We don't need to spend lots of time speculating. Secondly, we don't need to know it. If we needed to know these things, God would have told us. So what's the application What is the main thing that you need to obey from this chapter? From this idea, there's more things out there God is doing that He hasn't told you. Well, it's simple. Direct the energy and the time that you have on researching and on studying the simple truths taught in the Bible. Don't spend your time speculating, researching, or asking unanswerable questions about Scripture. So that's the whole, that's my whole vision, my whole idea of this study and obey is that God has revealed his simple and clear will and plan to us in scripture. Our job is to simply read the words and study it and obey the lessons inside. Focus on obedience and focus on a transformed life through the power of the Holy Spirit and spend less time on speculating. All right, let's move on in the passage. Verses 5 through 7, we see that the angel swears no more delay. The angel who is standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, swears by God, that there would be no more delay. Now in the scriptures, swearing is a very serious thing. In many places, we are warned not to swear lightly or rashly, but to think through it very carefully before making promises. Now, this solemn oath shows that the angel means what he says. And what he says is there's going to be no more delay. Now, it seems that this angel is somehow tasked with bringing about the next stage in God's plan for the world. Then the next judgments would begin after the seventh trumpet's blown and the bold judgments are poured out. Upon the earth. Now, since he is tasked by God, this angel means business. He's quickly going to set God's plans into motion. Now, throughout the book of Revelation, we see that once it is God's time to act, he acts swiftly. Most of the cataclysmic world events in Revelation would be the story of the century. Right? Any of these plagues or judgments would be the new story for not just a year, but for decades. And yet all of these events, 21 different judgments and some that aren't in this list of 21, are happening within a span of only seven years. It's truly a time of remarkable change and horrible catastrophes in the world. And God's timeline is moving very, very quickly. 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So God is not slow as we consider it. Rather, now we are seeing and experiencing his patience. Now we should be careful that we don't mistake God's patience for indecision. Neither should you look at the world and think, Jesus isn't coming, everything's the same every day. Well, when it's time, his in-time plans are going to happen very, very quickly. If a fire breaks out in your home, it's too late to go buy a fire hydrant. It's too late to get insurance. The time to do that is before the fire comes. I have an interesting story about this from my own life. I felt I was very well prepared because we actually bought a fire hydrant to put in our home in case there was any uh, fire, any disasters. But then there actually was a fire. Uh, Actually, our dryer exploded. And so I came out. uh, Actually, our air conditioner in our room turned off. Uh, about 10 30 at night and i thought this is very strange what's going on uh, so i went out to check maybe the if the breaker had flipped and turned our air conditioner off and when i was walking down the hall i saw this golden glow on the wall of our living room and i turned the corner and i looked out and our dryer was on fire there was fire just billowing out of it so the good idea would be go get the fire hydrant right Well, the fire hydrant, which we had actually bought, was still in the car, was still in the vehicle. And so we couldn't actually use the fire hydrant. Now, foolishly and without thinking, I actually used water on this, which is not a good idea. If there's ever an electrical fire, uh, don't use water. Uh, Thankfully, God preserved me and I was okay as the breaker had already flipped. But I felt like, oh, I'm really prepared. I have a fire hydrant, but when I actually needed it, It wasn't there. So we cannot wait until we see these in time plans coming. Once people see these uh, seal judgments and trumpet judgments, once they see Jesus returning, it's going to be too late to prepare for that. So the time to prepare is now. We need to live our life for him right now. Don't wait until it's too late. Throughout the Bible again and again, we see that today is a day of salvation. Now, just as Jesus announced to his servants, the prophets, God graciously reveals to us what we need to know about what he's going to do so that we can be ready. Amos 3.7 says, The Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. God has revealed his end times plan for us in the book of Revelation through his prophet John. He has already revealed to us what is going to happen. So it's up to us to respond to that in the right way. Now, the last part of this passage we're going to look at is verses 8 through 11, where John does something I've never done before. Probably you've never done before either. Uh, The angel tells him to go and take the scroll that is that is open in the hand of the angel and then after giving it to him the angel tells john to take it and eat it eat a scroll so even though we like to apply the bible we're not actually going to take our bibles and eat them today this is uh, not suggested for us Um, but this is what the angel told john to do so john must have felt hmm, this is very strange i'm supposed to eat a scroll Well, it's not the only place in Scripture where this instruction is given. In Ezekiel 3.3, he is also told to eat a scroll. And it reminds us that man does not live on bread alone. God's words are food for our souls. We are to consume his words. When we meditate on them, we are changed from the inside out. Now, in John's case, eating the scroll allowed him to physically taste and experience in his own body how the contents would affect people so the angel tells him it will make your stomach bitter but in your mouth it will be sweet now when John ate the scroll he found that this was the case hearing God's words is a great blessing prophecy is attractive in that we can know the future and most people are very interested in knowing the future if you ask most people do you want to know the future I'm sure a large percentage will answer affirmatively. At least for many things, they want to know what's going to happen in the future. Now in this case, though they warned of the doom to come, judgment and wrath were coming upon the world. So, prophecy is wonderful. It's attractive. It's beautiful. It's a blessing that we can receive this prophecy from God. But what is the contents of John's prophecy in Revelation? It's a prophecy about God's judgment and wrath. So Revelation is a hard pill to swallow in many ways. It's a hard and sad book because billions of souls are lost due to their continued rebellion against God. It will be a disaster for the unbeliever. It will be extremely painful for believers, many of whom are going to be martyred. There's a lot of sadness in the book. That's why back in Revelation uh, between the 6th and 7th Sealed judgments there was half an hour of silence it's a sad it's a serious thing and so I think the, the sadness of the judgment and the wrath to come where many will be lost for eternity is what is the bitterness inside of the stomach but even though it's bitter even though the message is bitter the angel tells John in verse 11 he says you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings the prophecies are hard they're bitter it's a tough pill to swallow but nonetheless they'll be necessary knowing the judgment to come could encourage people to seek his mercy now so the book of revelation is both sweet and bitter It's beautiful to see Jesus and his power revealed. It's beautiful to see Jesus' second coming, his victory over Satan, his victory over demons, good triumphing over evil. There's so much beauty and the glory of Christ is just magnified and shown throughout the world for all to see. There will be no atheist. There will be no one else who refuses to accept God's existence and all of that is so beautiful. But at the same time, there's pain. There's pain for believers. There's, there's judgment. And many people will be lost forever. And that's a sad, sad thing. So let us take the message from this book of Revelation to heart. Take the, the blessing side of it to look forward to Jesus' second coming. To look forward to his victory over Satan and then to proclaim the good news so that others can join his team and celebrate Jesus' return rather than dreading it. So in the passage today, we see an interlude between the 6th and the 7th trumpet judgments. We see that God is doing a lot of things, even during these end times when He, where he's revealed so much to us in the book of Revelation. He's doing a lot more that he says seal up. Don't tell us. And we don't even know what those things are. So this reminds us how big God is, how uh, amazing his plans are, how big his plans are, and how little we are. So let us be humble before him. Let's not speculate about many things that we cannot know. But instead, let's read the simple truths of God's word and then seek to obey them and apply them to our lives. I hope that you enjoyed this study of Revelation chapter 10 and that you will join us again next time for Revelation chapter 11. God bless and see you then. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.